1: Hi Molly, my name's Katherine I'm from San Francisco, California I am 24 and I just want, I'm at work right now I just wanted to leave a quick voicemail I know it wasn't meant to be funny but I am just I am dying it's it was hilarious hearing you just shred that lady to part on the newest um, premium episode <laughs> especially <laughs> when you're like when you put that quote it's like when you when you what when you have it when you when you oh my god yeah just thank you you released a lot of serotonin in my brain making me laugh that hard this morning <laughs> thank you Hi, Molly. Uh, My name is Keely. I'm 23 years old and I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Um, I have been an avid listener of the podcast for about a year now since I received my own BPD diagnosis just around this time last year. So I just want to start out by telling you how grateful I am for you and your content, and I will hopefully (laughs) become a premium subscriber soon. I am actually a financially independent college student. I'm going to school to be a teacher. So Got some other um, things on my plate for sure. But this podcast is up there on my priorities for sure. But um, I just wanted to tell you, I just listened to your episode um, regarding um, the Billie Eilish interview regarding um, pornography and what damage it did to her brain. Um, But I want to specifically comment on the second half of that episode with um, you listening to that YouTube video of that woman just really spitting out some, uh, harmful and damaging, um, BPD stereotypes. And I just want you to know that I really love when you break this down for- us um i personally send podcast episodes for my loved ones to listen to so i am very eager to give this to them because sometimes i don't think that they fully understand when bpd is being stigmatized versus when it's not but i love you
2: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom
0: Hello everyone, welcome to Back From The Borderline, the podcast that helps anyone who identifies with the symptoms of BPD overcome their biggest obstacle, themselves. I'm your host, Molly, and I'm here to help you realize that anyone, even you, yes, my fellow emotional, messy human being, can come back from the borderline. I want to give huge shout outs to both Catherine and Keely for the voicemails you heard on today's intro. I've received quite a bit of feedback from quite a few of you about how much you loved last week's episode, particularly the last half of the episode where I react to a pretty awful and stigmatizing YouTube video of a woman who positions herself as a trauma coach who helps people overcome what she calls borderline abuse. And Catherine, you mentioned that it wasn't supposed to be funny. To be honest, it kind of was funny. And as a little side note, that viral clip of that little boy that I played Like, would you, could you, if you, would I? Like, is me and Zaz's inside joke. Whenever I stumble around for words, Zaz is always like, Would you, could you, if I? And we crack up. And so I had to use it in the episode. I played it for Zaz, and he was like, This is the best shit I've ever seen. So it totally was supposed to be funny because what else can we do but laugh? It's actually the healthiest reaction we can have to all of this stuff. And as Keely mentioned in her voicemail, She plans on sharing this episode with friends and family so that they can better understand what stigmatizing language looks like in real time. That's the best way we can battle stigma and better advocate for ourselves for people with formal diagnoses of BPD or who just identify with the symptoms. Share my content or share the content of thousands upon thousands of other amazing trauma-informed creators that are out there. Share it with the people that you love and get that conversation going because we're never going to change the behavior of strangers on the internet so don't even try. (laughs) And speaking of strangers on the internet, Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about how recent changes to social media algorithms may impact your emotion regulation and what exactly you can do about it. After that, I will be responding to a recent listener review that inspired me to finally tackle some of these frequently asked questions I'm receiving about my personal views on the harm caused by the BPD label and why I don't find the phrase borderline personality disorder particularly empowering. We'll talk about how we can challenge our deeply ingrained beliefs and overcome certain cognitive biases that actually might be becoming a blocker in your own recovery process. And we'll finish up by answering some listener emails and voicemails about how communication is a skill we all need to develop, nobody's just born with amazing communication skills, and how to start over and start fresh in a relationship after BPD symptoms have broken down a lot of the trust and intimacy. Also, over on the premium version of the podcast, I've been walking my subscribers through each step of something called the hero's journey, which is a spiritual recovery process That has been by far the biggest factor in the reduction of my BPD symptoms. So if you want access to those episodes, you'll need to become a premium subscriber. You can learn more about that by clicking the link at the bottom of the description of this episode or visiting backfromtheborderline.com and clicking unlock premium access. You'll not only be able to start the Hero's Journey series, but you'll also be able to check out the best of the Back From The Borderline podcast there as I put an incredible amount of research and effort into the episode Episodes for my premium subscribers. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive straight into the podcast. I want to talk first about this social media break that I'm on. And this social media break started as a break, but now it's starting to turn into a more permanent decision. The longer I've been off social media, specifically Instagram, because for me, I never even dipped my toe into the TikTok world because I know that would have been like a swift addictive decline for me. Instagram was my main addictive platform of choice. I created so much content for Instagram. It took me so long to create that content and I found myself just being sucked into it. So a few weeks back, I decided I'm going off. And I cannot believe the difference in my mental health since I've stepped away from Instagram. And so I'm not sure if I even really want to go back. I think many of you will have noticed specifically on Instagram, when Facebook and Instagram began, it was a good way to keep up with friends. That's what you would see when you would log in updates from your friends. I remember when that was the case. I did find myself logging onto social media and after I logged off, I felt good. I was like, okay, I I loved seeing these pictures of my little cousins or seeing what my friend was doing that day. I left not feeling shittier. <laughs> Could my time have been better spent not seeing what breakfast my friend from high school was having? Yeah, probably, but... I noticed just a different shift in social media lately. And I came across this article on Medium that now helped me put words to this shittier feeling that maybe we've all been having. And this article is by this startup founder and investor. And he's talking about how social media is shifting from social media To something called recommendation media. And as I'm sure you know, the company Meta is now what Facebook is called. And if you know, Facebook owns Instagram as well. This article was released on July 27th, 2022. So it's come out relatively recently. And in the last couple of weeks, Meta formally announced. That Facebook and Instagram news feeds would be shifting towards more of an algorithmic recommendation-based model of content distribution. And this impacts what you're seeing and the quality of experience you're having on social media. If you've been on Instagram at all, you've probably seen this post floating around that says, Make Instagram Instagram again. Stop trying
2: to be TikTok. I want to see cute photos of my friends. Sincerely, everyone. <laughs> so, even if you don't know about it and you didn't know what recommendation media was, or you didn't know officially that this algorithmic change went into effect, you can feel it. Officially, there is less emphasis on friends and seeing what your actual friends are up to. And now what you're seeing is this carefully curated algorithmic experience that's trying to match the perfect content for you at the perfect right time. And that is what recommendation media is. And this is now the new standard for content distribution on the internet. These apps are trying to show you exactly the right thing at exactly the right time to keep you on their app as long as possible.
0: For example, if you are liking some posts about movies, your social media app is going to say, whoop, they love movies or they love cats, and they're gonna show you a ton of cat-related content because that's what captures your attention best. And recommendation media
2: also means that these platforms can decide what you won't see.
0: This article that I found ends with this statement, Recommendation media is here. As a result, we'll make fewer explicit choices, quote, these are my friends, and more implicit choices,
2: quote, this is where the algorithm recommends I should spend my attention, and how, when, and why, we consume content. In the near term, we may not notice much of a difference, but it'll be fascinating to look back a few years from now and reflect how our personal behaviors have changed. This article was clearly written by a tech CEO, and I found the real gold in the comments on this Medium post, and I wanted to read this comment from a user named Robert Cooper, because I feel like it really hits the nail on the head for me as to why I'm taking a step back from platforms like Facebook and Instagram due to this migration towards what this author is calling recommendation media. And I feel like it's really important to share with you, my listener, because we should be aware this podcast is all about emotion regulation. For those of us who identify with BPD, social media and the content we consume has a massive impact on how we're feeling. I can take one look at social media and my mood can change. And so we should be aware that These platforms know us sometimes better than we know ourselves and these algorithms have the power to change our mood and if we want to maintain high levels of self-awareness and prioritize our emotional regulation and our recovery, we need to be aware of these things. So Robert Cooper comments to this article saying, The title nails it, but the rest is clearly written as an investor, not a consumer. People initially joined social media to keep in touch with friends. The problem was the social media networks and startups needed eternal exponential growth, and people can only have so many friends who can only post so many things. So to maintain the endless scroll and keep people on their apps, they started filling in their feeds with recommended or sponsored content from professional quote-unquote influencers and provocateurs. The latest change just continues the move away from social relationships and toward mindless consumption. Algorithms' definitions of, quote, the best content is far different from what a human would choose. Algorithms want, quote, engagement, which is best achieved with anger and clickbait. And contrary to your arguments about alleviating echo chambers, once you click on a topic once, algorithms tend to force feed that same thing to you over and over. Algorithms diligently search for your obsession, and if you don't have one yet, they'll help you build one, healthy or not. They need a reliable advertising target, which is you. Social media, recommendation media, whatever you want to call them now, long ago sacrificed customer experience on the altar of profit. That helps them keep raking in the cash, but if you run a platform that everyone hates but keeps using because they have no alternative, you're not in a very stable position. I used to feel better connected after scanning through my friends' posts on Facebook and then leaving when done. Now I only ever feel worse. I really like this comment by this user, Robert, because it represents why I am choosing for myself to take a more permanent step back from social media. I am realizing and tuning into my feelings and noticing how I'm feeling after I'm on social media. Also, when I engage in things, for example, when I was in a really dark place, I would go on social media and I would like posts that were in circle jerk of sadness land, right? You know the kind of BPD posts I'm talking about. Just wallowing in sorrow. And the moment that you start liking some of those posts, the algorithm is like, cool, got it. That's what you want to see? Noted. I'm going to show you all this sad shit. I'm going to pump it out. And we need to remember, the algorithm is just optimized to keep you on the app. It's not this evil genius thing It's just going based upon what you are clicking on and engaging with, and it's going to show you more and more and more of that stuff so that you stay on the app. I work in tech myself, and many of you may not, and the only goal for people that work in tech is to get people to stay on the app as long as possible, by whatever means necessary. So keep this in mind. I don't want to rant for too long about social media, but one thing that I am noticing, the longer that I stay off, I've got Instagram deleted on my phone. I don't have it on my phone anymore. I don't have Twitter on on my phone anymore. I've been checking in on my Instagram account probably once a week on my laptop and that's it. And I'm not posting and I'm not creating content on there anymore. I'm going to be focusing on my podcast content because I know that the technology that podcasts use means that my listeners get my content no matter what every single week. So tune in to how your time on social media is making you feel and be aware, keenly aware of this shift from social media to recommendation media. And when you are scrolling and you're seeing things, just know that those things are likely being shown to you to keep you on the app. So it's up to us, to be aware put the phone down if you feel like this is impacting you negatively delete it off your phone and just check it on your computer once a week do a huge cleanse delete certain accounts that you're following certain things like that but now with this recommendation media shift even things that you aren't following are being pushed to you on your social media app so even cleansing out who you follow isn't even as effective anymore
0: There's a quote I came across ages ago, and it says something like, where your attention goes, energy flows. And I think that that is something important to keep in mind when you're thinking about your consumption of content and social media. So where is your attention flowing this week? And know that wherever that is, that's where your energy is going and for those of us who are in recovery and identify with bpd traits especially if you're at the beginning of your journey you need to be hyper aware of the things that you're consuming the next thing i want to talk about is a review i received on the podcast this past week it's a slightly critical review, and I love hearing other people's opinions, and I'm so grateful that this listener shared it, but there are some things I want to address because this review probably represents the most common criticisms I received to the podcast, and I want to address them personally. What better way for me to just respond? So Let's just read what this listener shared. The title of the review is Good Info, A Bit Heavy on the Spin, and it's a 3 out of 5 star review. The review states this, I definitely appreciate that a BPD podcast exists. It's well-researched, covers a wide range of topics, comes out regularly, and is very grounded and not over-dramatic or overly coddling. There's a lot to be said for that. But as much as I'm in this phase where all I want to do is absorb all information that exists about BPD, this podcast is a bit difficult for me to listen to because she spends so much time talking about her opinions. I understand that she doesn't want the BPD diagnosis to exist, even though the existence of the diagnosis is what brought us all together and why she has a podcast in the first place. And I get that she doesn't believe people can have a disordered personality, although I think... I have a heavily disordered personality and I'm fine with it to each their own. But some people, me included, found unbelievable relief in the BPD diagnosis. When I discovered it, started doing research on it, connecting with communities, and was finally diagnosed, it was the first time in almost my 40 years of life that I've ever felt seen that any of the chaos that I've lived made any sort of sense. I couldn't be more grateful to the label exists and there is so much information, resources, and community around it. I get that a lot of people have been harmed by the stigma. I appreciate that I'm fortunate not to have been because I was really, well-informed about this world and knew how to navigate it before jumping into it, and maybe someday they will change how they refer to people with BPD traits, and new label will be some combo of ADHD, autism, and CPTSD or something, or something, ACEs. But I don't think we need to turn on the label that so many people find comfort in, feel seen by, has legitimate treatments associated with it that really work, and helps us find one another because the stigma is so bad. I have no idea who I am. My personality and moods and relationship are in disorder, and it's okay. It's not a crime to have different opinions. Hers is hard won, and I respect that. I would just have an easier time listening if she didn't spend so much time talking about them and put a little more emphasis on factual information because her perspective just doesn't reflect my experience." At the end of the day, we all want the same thing, education that fights against the ignorance and stigma that harms so many people with BPD. We just have different perspectives on how to get there. I think the stigma that we should be fighting with research and education, and I don't think that requires putting a useful diagnosis out to pasture— But she's out there every day working towards our shared goal of a world that doesn't hate on people with BPD so much, and I'm just here writing a review on Apple Podcasts, so what do I know? Regardless of our differences, she's contributing to a world where people are less harmed by the stigma of BPD, and I appreciate that. It takes a lot of guts to come out publicly as having BPD and even more to dedicate your life talking about it, and we're lucky to have her in our corner maybe there's a happy medium in there somewhere. First, I just want to thank this listener. If you are still listening to the podcast for this review, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. But because it's my podcast, I'm going to share my thoughts on this because I think it is worth addressing in full. So the first part I want to talk about is the piece that says that This listener said that my podcast is difficult for me to listen to because she spends so much time talking about her opinions. This is my podcast. I literally set this podcast up to share my experience and my opinions. If you are interested in hearing Totally above board, straight from the American Psychiatric Association. There are plenty of places that you can go online to get that information. This podcast is not for you if you don't want to hear my experiences. This podcast is not a BPD 123 podcast, it is my experiences and my opinions. That's literally why I started the podcast. I will not stop talking about my opinions. I will continue sharing them because that is quite literally why I started this. I'm not NPR. I'm not a journalist. I'm not a news station. And that's not what this podcast is about. The next point that this reviewer brings up is I understand that she doesn't want the BPD diagnosis to exist, even though the existence of the diagnosis has brought us all to is what brought us all together in the first place. I will say this is a profound point and it is something that I still struggle with. I completely agree with you here. I have met some of the most amazing people because I have been connected to them and this podcast helped me connect with you because I used the word BPD, and yes, this phrase has connected all of us, but does that mean that it's the best way to refer to people who identify with these traits? I don't think so. Just because a racism reddit thread, for example, brings a bunch of people together who have experienced racism doesn't mean that it's a good thing that racism exists. Does that make sense? Just because this label that was created by a group of men in 1938, based upon their collective confusion, brought us all together, doesn't necessarily mean that that label should continue to exist. This reviewer states that they found unbelievable relief in the BPD diagnosis because when they discovered it, they felt seen, they were connected with community, and they found the right research and information and resources. I think that is amazing, and I think that that is a silver lining in the BPD
2: diagnosis. But unfortunately, she states, I get that a lot of people have been harmed by the stigma, and I guess I'm fortunate not to have been harmed by the stigma because I was well-informed. To me, that's problematic in itself. Just because you weren't harmed by the stigma doesn't mean that thousands and thousands of other people are being greatly harmed by the stigma. As I have mentioned before, there are laws in place and there are certain prisoners In different states in the United States that aren't even eligible for certain programs or to get their sentences commuted because they have a BPD diagnosis on their medical records. There are people out there who are not able to get life insurance because they have a BPD diagnosis on their records. There are women and maybe men out there too who are not able to get custody of their children Because they have a BPD diagnosis on their records. There are people who are being turned away from psychotherapy because they have a BPD diagnosis on their records. Do you see what I'm saying? So, just because one person or a group of people have found freedom and liberation in their diagnosis and that they weren't harmed by the stigma, it doesn't mean that tons and tons and tons of other people are being harmed. And those are the people I'm fighting for. And just because someone feels like they have a disordered personality doesn't necessarily mean that that is proven by science. It's not that I just don't believe that personalities can't be disordered. That is literally not proven. And I found it interesting that this reviewer asked for me to quote, put a little more emphasis on factual information just because her perspective doesn't reflect my experience. Do you see the Conflict there in this statement. What I'm sharing with is factual information. Just because a group of people out there might like the diagnosis and it may have made them feel better getting it and more empowered, doesn't mean that there is any factual or scientific proof that personalities can be disordered. It has not been proven by science. And so what I'm sharing is not just my personal opinion, it is literally me flagging that. There is no factual proof out there. This reviewer also says that they think that it's the stigma we should be fighting with research and education and that they don't think that it requires putting a quote useful diagnosis out to pasture. I argue that this diagnosis is not useful. I would argue that it is more harmful than it is beneficial and I do argue that there are ways that we could all build community with one another without this label and the research and education that you are calling for is actually showing that personalities cannot be disordered i want to thank again this listener for typing out this review because also it was so beautifully written I completely understand that this is your personal experience. You feel empowered by the label. And I think that is amazing. But the part that made me laugh, like just with love for all of us, because we're all just messy human beings sharing our experience, is that you're writing into my podcast, asking me to share my opinion less on my podcast and asking me to reflect back to you your own personal experience. And I just can't do that. But... This place, this podcast, this community that we're building is safe for everyone. I have so many friends in the BPD community who find empowerment in their label, and you are welcome here. I just want to fight for those who are being seriously damaged by the stigma, and many of those people are the most vulnerable among us. So I will never stop fighting. I will never stop sharing my opinion. And if this stuff isn't for you, that's totally okay. That just means that this podcast might not be for you. But I urge all of us to challenge ourselves and challenge the beliefs that we hold dear. For example, if you are clinging to a diagnostic label and it really, really triggers you when someone like myself or someone else in the mental health community states that, These labels are just labels and they may not exist. Ask yourself why that triggers you so much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
4: stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
2: i'm reading this book right now called designing the mind and it's talking a lot about cognitive biases and i want to read this carl sagan quote from this book it says the truth may be puzzling It may take some work to grapple with, it may be counterintuitive, it may contradict deeply held prejudices, it may not be constant with what we desperately want to be true, but our preferences do not determine what's true. Another part of the book says everyone has cherished beliefs, and we can't simply will these beliefs away. We have to unplug the desires that perpetuate them. In order to do this, you need the habit of not only noticing the triggers for common biases, but of taking stock of your desires to hold certain beliefs and the intensity of these desires. Notice which ideas you're attached to and which ones you resist. The areas you tend to turn your curiosity away from that make you defensive when they are called into question. Perhaps you feel highly resistant to questioning a certain belief because you're part of a group which is based on that belief. Or maybe you feel like one belief provides you with a critical coping mechanism, one that you'd be lost without. I saved this part of the book because it made me think about this review and that's why I'm bringing it up. This particular part. Perhaps you feel highly resistant to questioning a certain belief because you're part of a group that's based on that belief. I think that this cognitive bias is where a lot of this criticism of my views of the BPD label comes from. And it's honestly where I've questioned my own self, right? So many of us have found beautiful community around the BPD label. And so when someone says BPD doesn't exist, as in the label is just a label that was created by a bunch of dudes almost a hundred years ago, and it's not really kind of a thing, even if that is actually the truth, Facts state that. This resistance that the book is talking about, we're attached to this idea and we get defensive when this belief is called into question because we are part of a group that is based on BPD. So if BPD doesn't exist, does our community not exist? No. We're still messy, emotional, amazing human beings who have found each other. Unpacking this part, that says maybe you feel like one belief provides you with a critical coping mechanism, one that you would be lost without. I think this is where a lot of resistance comes up with my views too. If we are building our entire identity around the BPD community, the BPD label, and all of a sudden that label's gone, I can understand why someone would feel triggered and scared by that because if we're building our entire identity around something, then there's going to be, what am I without this? If BPD isn't the cause of all my problems and I've been focusing so much on this, once it's gone, it's almost like a pillar of my identity, identity has been removed. And I can understand the fear associated with that. But I recognize that my role in this community is to call things into question where would we be as a society as a world if there weren't people that were brave to stand up and question commonly held beliefs the only reason why I'm here in front of this microphone today is because I have stood up and challenged my beliefs and my cognitive biases
0: and That's what's led to my recovery. So I hope that was helpful for you listening because I can really understand grappling with so much of what this listener and reviewer shared. I'm totally empathetic to that. I validate so much of what they shared and I'm grateful that they shared their opinions. I never want to just hear positive feedback. I like hearing people's thoughts on the pod, but I also, when I received things like that, especially this one, I thought that it was worthwhile addressing this because I've grappled with much of this myself of how can I talk shit on the BPD diagnosis, but then also the phrase borderline personality disorder is what got all of these listeners to my podcast. I get it. And I've built a community around this label, but I consider myself to be an activist Just because I have put out the battle cry to all people who identify with BPD traits, that's why I'm so particular about my language. This podcast is for anyone who identifies with the symptoms and traits of what is known as borderline personality disorder. I'm putting out the battle cry and I'm gathering all of us together so that we can feel less stigma and hopefully work together as a community to think of a better way to move forward and that's what i'm fighting for i'm fighting for you i'm fighting for me i'm fighting for the least privileged and most vulnerable among us and that requires challenging our commonly held beliefs challenging the status quo and moving forward not staying put The next thing that I want to talk about is an email I received from a listener, and I'd like to read it to you now. Hey, Molly, I'm a longtime listener since you started the podcast. I discussed a topic with my therapist, which I think would be helpful to others if you'd like to share it on your platform or use it as a discussion topic on the podcast. It's the idea that communication is a learned skill, not a trait that one has or doesn't have. It resonated with me that someone needs a growth mindset to allow themselves the ability to learn the skills it takes to not only communicate effectively, but also comprehend and have compassion for others' ideas and thoughts. This mindset has allowed me to have an understanding around my struggle to communicate my feelings and emotions, And I think this idea can be beneficial to others that relate to BPD traits. I may leave a voicemail at some point as I see above that you don't respond to all messages, but I'd really love your insight, but I'm also self-conscious of my voice. Thanks, Molly. So I want to thank Katie for this email. And I totally understand that sometimes you're self-conscious of your voice and don't want to hear your voice on the podcast. It took me a long time to get over hearing my voice And as a little sidebar, I never listen to my podcast episodes after I record them because I get like so cringed out about hearing my voice on a recording. I think that's like a universal cringe moment and thing that we all hate to hear. We hate seeing ourselves on video and hearing ourselves recorded. And also I think another thing that we universally hate is putting... The fucking sheets and duvet cover back on our bed. Can I just get a shout out for that? It's the worst. It's the worst chore ever. And I always leave it until right before I go to bed. But I digress. This topic that you bring up, that communication is a learned skill, not a trait that someone either does or doesn't have. And the fact that it's allowed you to really develop some more compassion for yourself and other people is so profound, Katie. And I love that you're talking about this with your therapist. And I think it highlights the importance of therapy as well. Having a strong therapeutic relationship if it's something that you have access to is so important because it allows you to have these breakthrough moments and some people really need to talk it out with another person. Some people can have these epiphanies just by writing in a journal or speaking to themselves over a voice note, but I love that you're talking about this with your therapist. We are not born amazing communicators. We are not born with all of the skills of interpersonal effectiveness these are things that are learned and so many of us grew up in environments where our parents didn't know their parents' parents didn't know and it just creates this belief that we're somehow broken or flawed or ineffective but if there's anything I've learned by throwing myself into self-improvement over the last few years in my recovery is I've been watching and reading people that inspire me, that are amazing communicators, deeply effective people who just excel at interpersonal skills. And if there's anything I learned is that this took a lot of work. A lot of these people spent years and years in therapy. They're reading about this. They're putting these skills into practice. This is why I feel like the world would be a much better place If every single child was taught DBT skills in school, why are we not taught about our emotions and interpersonal effectiveness in school? Because these are skills that need to be learned. It doesn't mean that you're broken or faulty. It's just you need to practice. Becoming interpersonally effective is just the same as learning an instrument, you're not going to expect to pick up a guitar and just be able to play immediately. You have to come back to it every day. It's probably going to sound like shit at the beginning, and then it's going to slowly but surely get better and better. I don't know if any of you have ever played Sims, but you know when you have a Sim, sit down and learn the guitar and you can like speed up the time and you watch them like really quickly start it starts sounding like it sounds like shit when they're playing the guitar and slowly but surely you can start hearing better songs and then soon enough after you fast forwarded five days your sim is like playing like a boss this is like interpersonal communication skills it's gonna be rocky at first but you have to practice and you also have to read about it there are communication frameworks There's a book called nonviolent communication that I recommend everyone read that in it on earth, but especially people who identify with BPD traits. So I want to thank you, Katie, for reaching out and sharing this because it's really important. And I love that you pointed out that it's helped you develop more compassion for yourself because when you have like a shitty interaction with someone or you lose your cool or you you split or whatever, it's so easy to think, I'm never going to get better at this. I suck. I'm useless. But this growth mindset that you talk about, instead of saying that to yourself, you can say, okay, yep, I didn't handle that situation as I wanted to. I wasn't able to put some space between my feelings and my reactions that time but how can I change the outcome next time? This growth mindset. I didn't learn these skills growing up and I'm just starting out. I'm going to get better with time. And it allows you to have more compassion for other people that you interact with too. People that used to frustrate you or really trigger you. You can look at them as just other messy human beings that don't have these skills either. And it's just not worth disrupting your peace, wondering how you can change them. You can only control you and just know that nobody learns these skills really growing up. And if you see someone who is incredibly effective, it means that they've put a lot of work into it. It doesn't mean that you can't get where they are. Now, everybody's different. I'm not saying that if someone is an incredible TED talk speaker that you're going to get to that level right we all have different skills and different strengths naturally but you can get better with practice at anything so the next thing i'd like to do is play a couple of voicemails from listeners and this first voicemail is from laura
5: hi molly my name is laura um, i'm a 29 year old that lives in boise idaho um I got diagnosed with borderline within the past month, and have known for a little bit over a year. Just because I deal with suicidal ideation when I perceive abandonment, and it's pretty intense. But I actually wanted to talk about your Limerence post. Um, I found myself—I've really obsessed over my boyfriend's social media and what he likes and what it means when other people like his stuff and making up these bizarre delusions. And I'm really pushing away like a really great thing in my life and a really healthy thing. And it's making it really difficult for him to want to be with me naturally. So, um, but I'm, thank you so much for giving me like definitions to help work on me so I can be a better person for everyone in my life, including myself. Um, you're so amazing. And I wish I could say so much more, but I only have a minute and a half. Love you.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you, Laura. God, I don't think that I could probably say anything in a minute and a half. So I have so much empathy for all of you trying to squeeze your questions into that time frame. But I had to pick like what I thought was a good time frame for it, the voicemail limits so that I could answer as many questions in one episode as possible so hard relate sorry about that and you did great <laughs> thank you for sharing so vulnerably i'm so glad that you got so much from the limerence episodes and thank you for becoming a premium subscriber for those of you who are listening i did a deep dive on limerence for my premium subscribers and if you want to unlock that episode you can do that and become a premium access member but you're talking about obsessing over your boyfriend's social media posts and how that is just pushing him away my god i spent so much so many years of my life doing that kind of stuff looking at the likes of people that I was dating trying to unpack what that means and I can't remember where I came across this but really someone said to me once like if you go looking for something you're probably going to find evidence of what you're looking for because you've got like an idea in your mind and I'm convinced that people with BPD traits. We are really smart, and sometimes our intelligence works against us because we can make amazing narratives in our mind, and we can make the most delusional things make sense, and we can convince anyone that it makes sense, including ourselves. But we have to realize that some of these obsessive behaviors are harming us and often pushing people away. And if someone is cheating on you or they're becoming unfaithful, it will come out. And it's highly unlikely that you're going to find this out by obsessively checking likes. So I'm so glad to hear that the podcast episode has helped helped you. I can't state how much I relate to you sharing how knowing definitions and having words to put to things helps so for example the concept of limerence was so incredibly mind-blowing to me just finding out what limerence was was just as impactful for me as finding out what splitting was because when i learned about splitting i was like holy shit that's what that is and i'm doing it all the time and so when you have a word for it when you start doing something, exhibiting splitting behaviors, you're like, whoop, I'm splitting. And now that I know what limerence is, I can go, whoop, is this love? Is this something that I genuinely like? Or am I being limerent about it? So I'm so glad to hear that that helped you, Laura. The next voicemail is from a listener named Isabella.
3: Hi, Molly. My name is Bella. I'm from Houston, Texas. I wanted to reach out because I've been in a six year relationship with an amazing guy. He's very calm, level headed, um, very fair, mature thinking. Um, Since I've been dating him, I've just been having chaotic episodes. I've been jealous, I've been yelling, throwing stuff, even little violent and I'm so ashamed of that um he loves me to death though he has always never given up on me ever even after all the really intense craziness I've created my question is how do you start over fresh after all this chaotic mess that I've just been providing um He loves me so much, but there's definitely some resentment. Um, He probably looks at me as like a crazy person too, but he loves me and I just want to know what you think on how to start over and start fresh and be healthy and kind of have them not look at you in the old way that you behaved. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. Oh, Bella, I know exactly how you're feeling In this voicemail, I've been there and maybe what I'm going to say may not be what you want to hear, but I think when I say it instinctively, you'll know that it's true. Is that all you can do is show up and prove in your actions that you are someone who is starting to learn how to put some space between your big feelings and your big emotions learning to identify those within yourself and then choosing a different reaction instead of letting your emotions completely yank you around and if i were in your shoes and i was so what i said was that to zaz who's my partner after He came to me and shared that he felt emotionally abused by me. And if you're a long-term listener of the podcast, you know this whole story. But there was essentially like a breaking point where I had to change my behavior. And I had done all the quote-unquote crazy things that you mentioned and something had to change. And what I said and what might be helpful for you to hear and I'm sure you'll find a way to share it in a way that fits you and your personality and your journey but I found that communicating this message was helpful. Letting your partner know that you are aware of your behaviors and that saying to them I know that words might not be effective right now but what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you in my behavior that I'm going to start learning to be more aware and tuning into my feelings more and I'm going to start learning to put some space between those feelings and my reactions and I just want to thank you for sticking by me and just know that I'm telling you this, but I'm going to show you in my behavior and you're going to see those changes. And then it's going to be up to you to show up every day in a different way. And when you slip, quickly take ownership for that and say, look, I'm bound to slip up. I recognize what just happened and it's part of the process. And then it's just going to take time It's been about two years now since Zaz approached me with that kind of ultimatum and I'll tell you what, it was a year where Zaz was still kind of in shell shock over my old behaviors and only just now, a couple of years later, it's not like he's bringing up all the old stuff that I used to do anymore, but there's gonna be some time where it's almost like they are a little bit traumatized and... Nervous, and it's almost like they're on edge. And I hate to use this BPD stereotype, but it really does feel like walking on eggshells. Unfortunately, a lot of our loved ones do feel like they're walking on eggshells around us. Zaz made it very clear to me that he felt nervous about my reactions, not for his safety per se, (laughs) because I wasn't a violent person, but I was emotionally violent, if that makes sense. Volatile is a better word for it. Zaz couldn't feel safe sharing his genuine thoughts and feelings because he had to weigh is it worth it in his own mind he he was saying these things is it really worth it for me sharing this because Molly's gonna freak out if I say this or she's gonna turn it into something that it's not and I hated the fact that the person that I loved so much was having to filter his thoughts and feelings because he couldn't Trust that I could just sit with his feelings and be there with him. So I hope that's helpful. It's taken a couple of years for this relationship to turn away from being the Molly show, being all about my big emotions. And now I feel like we're working like a real team. Do we have bumps in the road? Do I still have moments of emotion dysregulation that negatively impact our relationship. Absolutely. But those instances are fewer and further between. And they've continued to become less and less disruptive as time goes on. So, Bella, I encourage you to show the difference in your actions and really make this your mantra. Make it so that you tune into your feelings you feel that you're about to react and try your best to do anything in your power to put some space between that emotion and your knee-jerk reaction and decide, do I want to communicate with love and connection and bring people closer to me or do I want to push them further away? It's likely that you want to bring them closer And for those of us with BPD who are so convinced that we're going to be rejected and abandoned, our knee-jerk reaction is often, ironically, behavior that pushes people away and creates that self-fulfilling prophecy. We so badly want closeness, but so often our behavior achieves the exact opposite. And it's possible to change that. Just as Katie's amazing email shared... You have to have this growth mindset. These aren't skills that you were born with, but you can learn them. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I really hope that you can take something from what we've discussed today into your week, because this stuff doesn't do much if you just end the podcast and then go go back to your regular scheduled programming you need to take something that you've learned and put it into practice in your everyday life how can you start being a little bit easier on yourself and the people around you knowing that you're just figuring it out what skills can you start to learn seriously early on in my recovery journey i started watching communications coaches on youtube And it really, really helped me. As nerdy as that sounded, I wanted to start from the beginning and really learn and reteach myself how to communicate and interact with other people. Also this week, ask yourself, what are the beliefs you're holding on to so tightly that they may actually be holding you back? If you want to go down a really crazy rabbit hole, look up cognitive biases and Challenge yourself to ask as you go through the list, and there are hundreds of different types of cognitive biases, and ask yourself which ones are the biggest problem in your life and how can you start to see reality for what it is. That's something that I did that made a big and deeply profound impact on reframing the way that I think and believe and see the world and challenging our beliefs is the only thing that will actually change our behaviors huge shout out yet again to everyone who called in and shared their thoughts by email and voicemail i really ask that you use the crap out of that voicemail feature folks go to back click on that little microphone icon and send me a voicemail for a chance to hear your voice your question here on an episode of the podcast Share a success in your recovery journey, share something that made you laugh in the podcast, give words of encouragement to another listener who called in, ask me a question, whatever you like, go for it be creative. And if you want to get in on the premium podcast episodes that I'm doing right now on the hero's journey, we are on step two right now. And I'd love for you to join all of us on the premium feed as we walk through step-by-step of this more spiritual recovery process. So if you want to unlock those episodes, you can do that by going to my website back and clicking unlock premium access. But you know, if you don't do that, that's totally okay, because sometimes you just want to listen to the free version, and that's cool too. So if you can though, please support my podcast in some way. Write me a review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps a lot. Share the podcast with your therapist, your friend, your family member. Shout about it, write about it on Reddit share the love. It really helps me. So if you can't join premium access, that's okay too. You can support me and other independent creators that you love in that way. So I'm sending you all of my love, big, huge hugs all the way from the airways for me to you. I hope you have an amazing day. Take something that you learned today, apply it in your real life. And I will see you right back here next week.